0: Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. Thank you, Smith, here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. John Hartzell behind the glass, as always, our super producer. Another wild, crazy, spin your head around weekend in a busy week in the hole uh, in the NBA. The week four power rankings are live now on NBA.com. We'll get into those a little bit more in a moment. Shu, what's your big takeaway from this past weekend? What did you see that really stood out to you?
1: That's a good question. I just think as we go on, Every week just provides us more information. Every week we learn not only just more about every team, but we also learn about the teams that they've played. So, you know, you might have thought in week one that beating the Rockets was a good win or beating, you know, somebody else was a good win. And then, you know, as, as we go on, you learn it now that that wasn't exactly a quality, as much of a quality win as we thought it was. And so I think we're getting more information about, you know, more teams as, as the week go on. And we see the teams that are consistent, the teams that are inconsistent, consistently good, consistently bad, and then inconsistent. And then also, like I said, we get an an idea of like sort of quality wins. So I've been able now to just see, okay, there's 12 teams that are currently over 500. How have those teams done when they've played each other? Who's had to play the most games against those teams? And that gives you a little bit of context for everybody. And, And then, you know, how have teams done in those games against each other? The good teams have done in those games against each other. You know, the Warriors are dominant right now. I mean, they're just you know their offense has been ridiculous. They've won seven straight, and how efficiently they've scored over those seven games—they've scored like 125 points per 100 possessions over those seven games. It's, but,
0: it's, but I, I sense some reticence in
1: your voice. Like no, no, no. There's 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 two parts to this. One, it's the most efficient seven-game stretch that they've had in their four-plus seasons under Steve Kerr. So that's just. Ridiculous, this has been an incredible offensive team for the last four four plus years now, and they are now in under their most efficient stretch of that four years. The other thing is that we we realize that their schedule has been a little bit soft, and they don't have a single win over any of the other eleven teams that are currently under over five hundred mm-hmm. uh, New Orleans might have been over five hundred when they beat them, but they're only Game within that group, 12 teams that are currently over 500, uh, was their loss in Denver, which makes this week good because they play, they host the Grizzlies on Monday. The Grizzlies are five and three, playing an excellent defense, and then they host the Bucks on Thursday. And so it's a chance uh, not only for them to, to, you know, pick up some quality wins, but also for us to sort of see just how much they have uh, their foot on the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I was watching games all weekend, shoot and, and I'm I'm intrigued by
0: the dynamics of how these teams bounce back from from night to night. And and the Lakers struck me, you know, getting a big win on the road in Portland, snapping that streak. What I think
1: it was 16 straight losses in Portland, and that was the best, their best defensive game statistically, their best defensive game of the season.
0: Right, and then they come back and get walloped by Toronto, <laughs> 41 to 10. It was 41 <laughs> to 10. <laughs> You know, without Kawhi. I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's staggering to me the way some teams ride that kind of emotional roller coaster early in the season. And I know there are other teams like that we'll talk about here shortly. But the Lakers in particular stuck out to me because, and I I know we're going to get whacked for this, but is LeBron measuring himself Or do you think we've finally seen a little bit of father time tapping on his door and LeBron not being as easily able to affect games as he once was? Because I I was watching him specifically against the Raptors. And I don't know, you know, it's a home game. The stars are out. You figure this is his time when he shows up and, and shows out. And he looked like he couldn't get his body to do and again, I don't want to I don't want to start something where we're we're skewering LeBron for every little moment because he's had these defensive issues before. He had him in Cleveland last year that were very well highlighted. But it just seems like he doesn't contest an attack on the defensive end like he did years ago. And I know that's a part of getting older in this league. But it's more glaring to me now on this Lakers team for some reason than it's been while he's in Cleveland. And certainly, I didn't think that was the case in Miami. I thought he was at his defensive best when he was playing on that Heat team. But I don't. Does it? Have you watched him and noticed any signs of that kind of slippage in his game defensively?
1: Oh, yeah, there was a, an early season game against Portland where I think I even tweeted out the video of it where he just was basically asleep on the weak side and CJ McCollum sort of drifted from the, the right wing to the right corner for a wide open three that was a dagger in the Blazers' win. I think, you know, put them up six or seven or something in the last minute or last two minutes or something. We've talked about it plenty on this thing. You know, the, yes, that's that's where his age has shown up. And you look at his offensive numbers and you say, wow, this guy is, is doing what he's doing in year 15, year 16, whatever it is, um, year 13, year 14, the past couple of years. It's amazing. And, and, but at the same time, yes, if you watch his defense, it's been bad the last couple of years. You know, the, the, Cavs, the year they won the championship, I think they ranked 10th. Then two seasons ago, they slipped to the bottom 10. And then last year, we know they were 29th on defense. And he was a part of that. And right now, the Lakers are 23rd. Last year, they were the most improved defensive team, or one of the, the second most improved defensive team. They went from 30th to I think 16th or so defensively mm-hmm. last season, and now they've fallen back again. They have played five of their 10 games against teams that rank in the top 10 offensively right now, and only two against teams that rank in the bottom 10. So mm-hmm. there's a that's a little context as far as their defense right now. But yeah, your point is. Perfectly right. I've told this story before where I was covering the Olympics in 2016 in uh, Brazil. And the US, their last three pool Play game. They went undefeated, we know that. But their last three pool play games, their defense was terrible. Like they were winning like 130 to 120 against three pretty good teams. And I, you know, and and I remember talking to a sort of a, a USA staff guy, sort of between those pool play games and the elimination rounds. And he said, you know, this is where we really miss LeBron. And I was like, You mean like on defense more than offense? He's like, Absolutely. Because he has the instincts and athleticism and quickness to erase mistakes on that end of the floor. You know, he just sees stuff before it happens. And he has the ability to erase mistakes defensively um, just because he's one, huge, two, incredibly fast, and three, like, incredibly smart. Um, And I wrote at the end of last season, LeBron was asked about Draymond Green during the finals. And he went on to laud, you know, Draymond's defense And my first thought was, like, LeBron could be as good as Draymond Green on defense, like, if he had that focus and that energy. I mean, he's bigger than Draymond. He's faster than Draymond. He's just as smart as Draymond, maybe smarter. You know, he could be the best defensive player in the year if that's where he – best defensive player in the league – if that's where he put his effort. But, you know, I think we're, we're well past that at this point.
0: Shoot, the one team and, you know, the one person to me whose impact has been maybe the most significant of anything I've seen. I know we assumed LeBron would have a huge impact on the Lakers, which hasn't really been cashed in yet to me. They're still playing uneven basketball. It's Mike Budenholzer in the Bucks, And it's not just Giannis playing crazy good. It's that entire team. Playing really well. I I can't get over how simple Bud's tweaks are when he when he gets a team that's that's got the right parts and how quickly he can kind of convince them to play in the way that he wants them to. But it's just it's so effective. I mean, Giannis was just unreal, you know, yesterday. I, I was I felt bad for the Kings. It was like any good vibes they'd had to start this season. Giannis dunked him away. I mean, he literally was abusing people. And he's not even fully immersed yet in what Bud is going to want him to, to do in that offense. And he was great on both ends. You know, as far as a, a best game or a best performance of somebody over the weekend, Giannis is the one that really shook me up thinking, I thought he maybe two more years, he would be what I think he is right now, which is arguably and maybe the best player in the East right now.
1: I mean, I can't argue with that. It's amazing like he's still not shooting from outside the paint or making shots from outside the paint, at least. But, you know, just putting four shooters around him makes such a difference. And, you know, last week <laughs> we hyped up that Raptors-Bucks game. And then uh, they said Kawhi Leonard was going to rest. And then Antetokounmpo was out with a concussion. And so I, my default was, all right, Kyle Lowry's the best player out of this group. And then, but the Bucks, you know, the Bucs have Chris Middleton. But the thing is, they didn't need a big game from Chris Middleton to win that game. You know, it was just such a balanced game. Von Maker sort of came off the shelf and and played decent. And and I thought even, you know, in their destruction of the Kings, Hans Kupo had a triple-double, but it was still, the scoring was, was pretty balanced. I mean, they're just getting contributions from everywhere. And what's amazing is, you know, we think they've had the biggest increase in the percentage of, the, of their shots that have come from three-point range, right? You know, and that's the offense... You know, it's that the big offensive tweak, but they've outscored their, their at the same time, they've outscored their opponents in the paint every single one of their games so far, in part because their defense has been so much improved in protecting the paint. Thursday's game against the Warriors will be a good test of that defense where they're dropping their bigs, you know, into the paint and protecting the rim as number one priority. Um, and obviously the Warriors are the team that can <laughs> take advantage of that scheme the most with Steph Curry coming off pick and roll. And then, you know, their movement where if, say, Brooke Lopez is sagging off of Draymond Green or something like that, or, or Damian Jones, whoever it is, you know, that guy can go set a screen for one of the guards and now... Lopez isn't there to help, you know. So Thursday's game against the Warriors will be a terrific test, and this whole t- this whole trip is going to be a great yes. uh, test.
0: They're at Portland, but, at the Warriors, at the Clippers, and finish it up at Denver. Four great teams, a really good teams. Yeah, twenty nine and nine. It's going to be crazy to see how they deal with that and see how they respond, you know. Because this will probably be more adversity than they've dealt with so far. But I, I don't know. I think they might be equipped to handle it.
1: Yeah, but also in that in that note about. Teams that have played, you know, as, we, as mentioned earlier, teams that have played good teams. The Bucs are already four and one against the other eleven teams that have winning records. So they have. It's not like they haven't been tested already. It's just this one will be. Uh, this this trip will be even more interesting.
0: Yeah, the Thunder shoe. Another team that you know I mentioned earlier about these teams that have been riding that emotional roller coaster. They started off the season without Russell Westbrook available. <laughs> They're now 4 and0. after an O4 start to the season, they climbed 11 spots from 22 to 11 in the NBA.com Power Rankings, which has the Warriors, Bucks, Nuggets, Raptors, and Pacers as the top five this week. Is it as simple as getting Russ back and getting him in a rhythm? Or is there something else going on with the Thunder?
1: I mean, I think we've talked about this. For this team, it's always about the other guys and their ability to just pitch in and add to what Westbrook and George and Adams bring. That 0-4 start was brutal offensively, and they've sort of found their offense a little bit uh, over these last four games. And I think Dennis Schroeder has been pretty good coming off the bench. Uh, Obviously, that's probably a more comfortable or a better role for him. I think the the Schroeder plus Westbrook minutes remain a question mark, and I think that's going to be a key going forward. But, you know, if he could – he's been pretty consistent – you know, I would say, you know, in the 10 to 15 point range and, and not shooting too poorly. And that's key. And so they're they're the team that, you know, sort of quickly, quickly found its footing. Although two of those wins are against the Suns and the Wizards. And uh, but, you know, a road win at Charlotte is good. And I think there's still some questions with this team. But four and four is a lot better than the alternative.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned the Wizards. You talk about a team that and, and they were cooking. For Dwight's first few minutes, I was watching it and thinking, (laughs) oh, man, we're wrong. We were, you know, Dwight is going to make a difference. Dwight's for for
1: MVP. (laughs) Yeah,
0: but it was like the minute that first burst was over, the the game was over. And we'll have to we're going to have to do an autopsy on the Wizards here sometime soon, because it's just I mean, it's just not what anybody expected from them. Um, not with the money they spent on that roster. You know, I read Jerry Brewer of the Washington Post had a really interesting column last week uh, where he talked about them needing to blow it up, you know, and that basically this thing has run its course with the current group of guys they have together. Easier said than done. I mm-hmm. know. And I'm and, and you're looking at it and saying, well, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Port, these guys are in the age-wise, they're, they're all in the in the sweet spot that you would want
1: for your franchise players, for your core group. But it's just not working. I don't, you know they need they need some sort of come to jesus moment where they have to figure <laughs> out like okay can we can this will this ever work or yeah because uh, yeah you're right they are they should be they're in their primes like they should be they should be as competitive as they're gonna be. From an age wise and age wise and talent wise, there should be no reason to break up these guys, right? But yeah. when it exactly. comes to chemistry and, and defense and playing hard and playing consistently, playing together, yeah, there's issues. And so it stinks, you know. You, you shouldn't have to you, you want like the same thing we've said with Minnesota. It stinks like they, these guys should be great. You know, they should be really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, easier said than done as far as breaking it up because Beale is the best out of the group, but he's the most tradable out of the group. Porter's uh, Wall's contract is 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 burdensome. It's, it's, it's going to be untenable, yeah. And Porter is obviously not playing up to his his deal. And so, you know, Porter is a player that I'm sure a lot of teams would like, but the, the contract that comes with it is tough to deal with. And like I said, Wall's contract is huge. Uh, Beal is the only one that has would should have a ton of appeal. But that means the Wizards given up the best of the three, you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's disappointing. You know, you want to see three really good players make it work. And that hasn't been the case so far.
0: The team of the week, shoe the Denver Nuggets. Nice win over the Jazz on Saturday. They're eight and one. Jokic is looking fantastic. Huge, huge game to, uh, on on League Pass tonight. They they got the Celtics in town. A Celtics team that to me is look looks like they're also starting to turn a corner early here and and get more comfortable. But Denver's defensive improvement. How does a team go from where they were defensively to where they are now without some infusion of defensive minded talent? Like how did this? <laughs> How do you
1: do that organically in this league, just to get that much better team defensively? They've changed their scheme. They've kind of sort of done the opposite, I think, of the Bucks, where they're playing a little bit more aggressive on the perimeter with their bigs. And that has helped them force more turnovers. It's helped them defend the perimeter. But I think more than anything, it's just effort and focus within that scheme. I think They realized how close they were to making the playoffs last year. Probably realized that the difference was a handful of possessions on that end of the floor, and realized that consistent defensive effort will help them get where they want to go. And so, you know, with their, you know, they're eight and one last week. You know, they beat the Pelicans without Anthony Davis. They needed a Paul Millsap tip in to beat the Bulls in overtime. They, They beat the Cavs. It's not a runaway 8-1. Yeah, it? and the Jazz were playing the second game of a back-to-back. So, mm-hmm. there's you know, that's a little bit of context with it. But, like, you know, you can only play the games in front of you and, and they've taken care of business about as well as you can. And they are... Three and zero against the other teams that are over five hundred. With win, right. with the Warriors only loss. Obviously, um, they beat the Clippers on opening night, and so tonight should be fun. Uh, uh, Celtics game should be great. The Celtics defense has been fantastic. Offense, I still have questions. You know, I did a little video about this last week where their offense has struggled. Their offense with their starting lineup, which is super talented, has struggled. And if you look at the numbers, it's because they're not getting into the paint and they're not getting to the free-throw line and watching that lineup together you know it's it's super skilled but it's perimeter oriented with Al Horford at the five you know they're basically playing five guys out that should allow them everybody driving lanes like lanes to attack um, but I think they just too often settle for jumpers and as terrific as Jason Tatum is and as talented as he is I think he's sort of a prime uh, or the sort of the one of the bigger culprits in that regard. I think he's a little too mid-range happy. Maybe that's, you know, spending too much time with Kobe uh, over the summer (laughs) and that he's a little mid-range happy with his jumper. And so I've kind of uh, soured on the Boston offense a little bit. You know, I think they're definitely, well, I think, you know, Gordon Hayward's just getting his legs back. They're going to shoot better as the season goes on and they remain really talented. But I just think, like, that group and like i said the fact that they don't get into the paint very much they don't get to the line very much that could sort of prevent them from being as good offensively as as the talent would have you assume you know what i mean like i just feel like it's it's they've got to be a little maybe and maybe maybe kyrie irving starts attacking more a little bit maybe tatum tatum starts attacking more but I, I still feel like if you watch them you just see a lot of possessions where they just settle where the ball doesn't even touch the paint and they just sort they of settle They like they take three Yeah, yeah. They yeah. settle for jump they do they do. I, th- I thought that watching them last week, my only
0: gripe about them was that they took too many quick threes. I thought they were taking shots way too quickly when they could have done more to kind of work the ball around for a better shot, for better opportunities for some of those guys. But one of the things Brad Stevens does show is he allows those guys the freedom to play a certain way, which in turn helps them develop, you know, sharper skills throughout the course of the season. I, I, I know it's, it's a hard watch. And everybody's, I mean, you watch a game, everybody is shooting it <laughs> and putting, I mean, it's ridiculous. Somebody's, you look up at the end of the third quarters and teams are already, 90, you know, 99, 100 points. And I'm going, how does this slow down? Like when, you know, surely the defense are going to have to respond and, and teams are going to start trying to take away something. But uh, a rough week as well, Shu, for a couple of teams who turned out the power in New Orleans and Detroit. I mean, <laughs> they were they were rocking, I mean, you know, and I'm I'm thinking of all these narratives we could have about both teams, about AD, you know, and and an MVP candidate, Blake Griffin, his resurgence, and how you know how he seemed to have new life, you know, this time around in Detroit, and then bam, both of them just nothing, you know, after these undefeated starts, the Pelicans are four and five, and Detroit is four and four, um, just like that. Is it is there something that other teams figured out about them? Um, and I know anytime Andre Drummond. Sees Joel and B, we're gonna have issues. But you know, eleven spots drop for the Pelicans, eight for the for the Pistons in 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 your power rankings. What was the determining factor for both those teams? You think struggling the way
1: they have? Well, I mean, let's just look back at Detroit's four zero start. I mean, they beat Brooklyn by three at home. They beat they won in Chicago by two. They beat Philly at home by one in overtime, and then they beat Cleveland at home by seven. So there was some. Um, Let's wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> idea, you know, after they after their four and start, with like okay, they haven't exactly um, been beaten teams very easily, and that was with Blake Griffin off to a, a ridiculous start shooting the ball. And so, yeah, they've the schedule has got, got a little tougher. They played two games against the Celtics, and then their other two games on the road, losing to Brooklyn, losing at Philly. Um, their offense has been terrible, like. Yeah. It just has. Griffin has cooled off, obviously, since that hot start. Reggie Jackson has been ice cold, and they're not getting much help from anywhere else. You know, Reggie Bullock was one of the best shooters in the league last year, and he's definitely not one of the best shooters in the league this year. Kennard is hurt. They haven't had – I think – you know, I've said this before. I think they were going to miss Anthony Tolliver. You know, they have a couple of sort of floor-spacing bigs, John Lure and Ellenson, but Ellenson just – seemingly hasn't worked out. In fact, they, they they declined his option for next year. And Lure, I think, is sort of still getting back from a an injury that he suffered, I think, late in the summer. And so offensively, they're struggling. You know, Griffin can only do so much. I was at that game in Brooklyn, that overtime game in Brooklyn on Wednesday. He hit some huge shots for them in that game, yeah. but it just, you know, it, it wasn't enough. And they got Spencer Dinwiddie down the stretch. And then with New Orleans, obviously, Anthony Davis being out, for three games has hurt them. You know, he was out for three of their five games, the, the, this three of the five games on this losing streak. And then one of the other games was against the Warriors. Their defense has been, has really fallen off over this losing streak. And so that the, their concern for them is on the other end of the floor. But obviously uh, having a healthy, healthy, Uh, Anthony Davis is the most important thing for them and I'm not sure you know what he has an elbow injury I'm not sure that's going to be an issue going forward it's not serious enough that he's been out the whole time but you know it's obviously had an effect
0: yeah the cynics would tell you that this is more of the same issue that's plagued him basically his entire career is availability I, I know Alvin Gentry said the other night you know if this was the playoffs he could play yeah but people people who are skeptical of his toughness and I'm not saying it's fair I'm just saying it's. That's what's out there.
1: And and the thing is when and then when he sits, you have a front line of uh, Nikola Mirotic and Julius Randle, which is right. uh pretty brutal defensively. Um, I was right. watching I forget which game of theirs, but I was watching Randall on one possession. Remember that video of like Andre Barnani getting like turned around like three <laughs> times on one defensive possession, just getting completely yeah. lost? Julius Randle did a pretty good imitation of that on one possession the other night. So obviously like it's not only Davis just being a monster defensively, but it's it's the huge drop off that they suffer when those other two bigs are on the floor without him. Right. Yeah. I mean,
0: and I don't I don't know if it's fair early in the year. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has been has rested a couple times. You know, a lot of guys are, and I won't even bring up Jimmy Butler, who I'm I'm not interested in discussing that drama today at all. Um, but you know, different guys have been resting.
1: Yeah, and I don't like that. And Leonard actually had an injury. Um, yeah. Yeah. A foot injury. And I, I don't injury. like foot injury. Like the other one that concerned me was Jalen Brown, like missed a game with a right. foot injury. And then, but then he got an orthotic or something that helped him deal with the pain. And, I, but, but my thought is, okay, but why is he, you know, like, is this something that, that he's going to be dealing with for the rest of the year, you know? And, and Kawhi, you know, having a foot injury, you know, it's, it's always a little scary. We don't know the, the severity of it. I don't really think yeah. at this point. I don't know if it matters after watching the Raptors without him. I mean, they, <laughs> Man, they look—they look, they look so
0: good. Shoot, Serge um, Ibaka
1: is—I mean, we talked about it with Eric last week, but uh, yeah, Serge Ibaka has been fantastic. As Kyle Lowry's as, been great as a full-time um, center. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, and I don't know. I just—I like the, the energy they're playing with. To me, I always say a, t- a team that's serious about trying to win a championship kind of plants a flag in training camp and and tries to ride that thing from the start to finish. I like what Toronto's doing. I like what they're doing in that regard, in terms of they got a, a championship mentality. Like they they want to win big, and the, you know they're out every night to prove that they're the team they they think they are.
1: At the same time, they have the ability to rest their best player. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. So I mean, they got they got yeah. it all cooking right now, and good right, for them. the yeah, Van Fleet coming back obviously is huge for them
0: too. Right. I mean, they just to me it's just the subtle component have to be right for you to win big. It, it can't just be a, a pipe dream in terms of yeah we want to win big. We'll see what happens. No, we want to win big and this is how we're going to go about doing it. And, and I think the Raptors are on the right path. A team that maybe can't find the path right now. The Los Angeles Lakers. Tyson Chandler gets to buy out with, with Phoenix um, and he's reportedly going to sign with the Lakers after he clears waiver shoe. Is a 36-year-old Tyson Chandler the remedy for what ails the
1: Los Angeles Lakers? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean it's been a while since Tyson Chandler has been on a relevant team. So yeah. Um, and even last year, I mean, he was, uh, you know, at some point they just shelved him. You know, the Suns just sort of shelved him, you know, behind uh, Alex Len and whoever their other bigs were. I forget. it um, <laughs> was so, forgettable. Yeah, it's it's. Um. And so I, I really don't know. The early on in the season, the Lakers were much better defensively with JaVale McGee on the floor than they were playing like Kuzma or LeBron at center. That differential has been reduced greatly in the last few games. But I I think just having another option there is important. I mean, they were um, obviously desperate enough to play Zubats some regular minutes uh, the last couple of games. Um, But I just don't know if Chandler is going to be much better than than either of those other two guys and also – If playing more minutes with a real center on the floor is going to hurt them offensively, offensively they're going to be at their best with LeBron and four shooters. And, you know, McGee gives them that role, that rim-running center that, that can draw the defense in a little bit. But Chandler maybe has lost a little bit as far in the athleticism department, where you can't just lob, him, lob lob the ball up to him and have him go get it and throw it down, I think. And so offensively, it, it could be a big question um, if, he can, if they can continue to score efficiently enough with him on the floor. I don't know whose playbook this move is from
0: either. I mean, LeBron usually wants... Veteran shooters, you know, guys who are seasoned shooters around him. I maybe this is more of a from the Luke Walton playbook.
1: I mean, um, I mean, look, they their centers. In terms were, of Chandler, were, Chandler, yeah. Yeah, I mean, their centers were JaVale McGee, Zubats, and yeah, your guy Wagner. Well, he's more, Wagner's not yet; he hasn't been available. And I don't even know if he's a real center. So I mean, they needed something, and so I guess yeah. they prefer Tyson Chandler to uh, Joakim Noah. Who is yeah. still out there? Um, I I need somebody to I don't f- free Robin Lopez out of Chicago. You know he's <laughs> he's not even playing like he. Doesn't even play, which is weird to me. He's somehow playing behind Cristiano Felicio in Chicago. And I think he's a serviceable center. So I don't, he's on my mind when I think of the Lakers needing, you know, uh, a center. So obviously they were so thin at that position that they they needed to get something. Yeah. I don't know that I can ever imagine Joe Kim
0: Noah playing on the same team as LeBron, given their (laughs) Hollywood as hell history. Um, But I would would pay money for that if, if Noah was to join LeBron James on any team. Just to see if the uh, if they could melt some ice in that relationship.
1: Hey, I mean I don't, Rondo's I don't, out there. I mean, like I was gonna say, anything's possible.
0: Yeah. As Kevin Garnett said once, famously, the Warriors are your team to watch this week. Shoe we, we mentioned earlier about the matchups they'll have with the Bucks, obviously on TNT Thursday night. They host the uh, surprising, at least to me, surprising Memphis Grizzlies tonight. Any other teams out there that you got to keep an eye on this week, just in terms of what their schedule presents?
1: Whatever the circumstance might be. We've mentioned the Bucks already in their road trip. That Denver Boston game should be fun. I mentioned in the intro to to power rankings, Charlotte and Detroit are sort of fascinating to me. You know, we I thought they would be the two teams competing for the the playoff spot that LeBron vacated in the East. And maybe the the Wizards are uh, vacating another spot. But Detroit, like we said, like we talked about, has had sort of an up and down. And so we still don't know what they are. Charlotte is now five and five with a point differential of a team that's eight and two because they've had three huge wins. And they're one and four in close games, basically. And so they play for the first time on Sunday, you know, in Detroit. And I think that's just sort of a game to watch if you're interested in the who's gonna, who's gonna, who's gonna take up these last few playoff spots in the East conversation. And maybe that's right. just me, but that's <laughs> that's a that's a game that I'll have my eyes on next Sunday.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see, and I know we watch them and we talk about them all the time. I really am curious to see what the Lakers do coming out of all the drama. We didn't even mention the Magic Johnson, Luke Walton.
1: Less than ten games, right? Yeah, I mean, we got questions about Luke Walton's job <laughs> status, uh, job security, in in less than ten games. Yeah, I mean,
0: we we should have known it was coming. It, it kind of caught me by surprise. Foolishly, I don't know how I did because I should have expected. It should put it on the calendar. That by this time there would be some some rumblings and some some drama swirling around that situation. Maybe we'll dive into that a little further. Uh our man Sean Powell from NBA.com has been all over the Lakers uh this season. We need to get him on here and kind of have him break down what he sees and what the mood is around that team and that, that organization as they try and straighten things out. Be sure to uh check out the full NBA.com Power Rankings every Monday, authored by my man John Schumann at NBA.com slash power rankings. We'll be back Thursday shoe and and I don't even know if we if we kind of made up our minds about who we want to dissect on our thursday show but we'll we'll be sure to dig deep on on a team and uh, get some insights from somebody who who's around that team every day for you on uh, on thursday's edition of the hangtime podcast be sure to subscribe to hangtime on apple podcasts spotify wherever you get your podcast for new episodes every monday and thursday all season long please leave a review tell everybody how much you love mr convenience and cookies John Schumann, doing his thing every week on the show. And I got a little TV duty this week, Shoe on on Wednesday night. I'm very interested in digging in with with our man Dennis Scott. We had some interesting conversations last week during the breaks. I might cheat and, and let everybody in on some of those conversations we had about specific players. One guy we keep mentioning that nobody's talking about and I'm sure you've noticed it, is D'Angelo Russell being on the bench in fourth quarters for the Nets. I made the comment to 3D and Matt Weiner that, you know, isn't this kind of a crossroads year for him in terms of what you believe he might be going forward in his career? And for him to not be on the court in fourth quarters says something about what Kenny Atkinson
1: and the Nets think about D'Angelo Russell. I mean, that, that's something that I want to... I'll say one thing. The question for me going into the season that I just sort of, or even I started last season, is who, mm-hmm. which... If, if he or Spencer Dinwiddie was more likely to be on the Nets roster next year, Dinwiddie right. is obviously at the end of a, a cheap contract um, and will command some more money. But I will say this about Russell not being on the floor in the fourth. They have, Two other really good playmaking guards in right. witty and Karis LeVert, who's obviously having yeah. a fantastic season. And then they have yes. Joe Harris as a, as a shooter that needs to be on the floor when they're trying to get buckets down the stretch. So I will yeah. say that to that. I don't think it's all about Russell being bad, although he's had some... Bad moments. He's also had some good moments. Yes. I just think that those other two guys, especially in isolate, late game isolation situations, and we've talked about this before, those guys are better at getting around guys in isolation. Uh, Russell yeah. can be really good in pick and roll when he gets a screen and gets a little space, but he just doesn't have the burst to get around guys in isolation. Right. And those
0: guys are bigger than him. Both yes. of them are, are bigger than he is as well.
1: Yeah. and So, so it makes a difference. Yeah. It, it's, it's about the options, I think, that they have uh, down the yeah. stretch.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just something that, like I said, we sit around sometimes talking and it doesn't get on the on the show or it doesn't make the airwaves. But
1: by the way, I have some, they, they they did some sort of power ranking segment on Saturday with 3D and Griff mm-hmm. and they both put uh, the Warriors at the top of their power rankings and sort of chuckled at me having the Raptors at number one <laughs> without the context that my rankings had come out five days earlier. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw that out there that, you know, if they're going to do that again, they need to uh, say, Hey, yeah, well, I mean, taking this with five additional days of, uh, (laughs) of data to to look at.
0: Don't worry. I I will uh, make sure to bring that up to 3D (laughs) as well. Feel free to tweet at he and Griff and give them the business uh, shoot. If you don't mind again, we'll, we'll see you here Thursday and uh, we'll have plenty more topics. Uh, to discuss about the league and everything that goes on around the NBA. We'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.